welcome. You're listening to Digital Health Unplugged, the podcast in which we look at what is going on in the world of NHS IT. If you don't know me already, I'm Andrea Downey, Senior Reporter for Digital Health, and this is one of our final episodes of the year. Can you believe it? So what better way to spend it than looking back on 2020, the things we've achieved, and the lessons learned on digital in the NHS. Joining me today to discuss it all is Philippa Winter, CIO at Bolton NHS Foundation Trust and a member of the Digital Health CIO Network. Hi. Matthew Stickland, Director of Strategy and Communications at tech supplier TPP. Hi, everyone. We have Joe McDonald, CCIO at Cumbria, Northumberland, Tyne and Weir NHS Trust and also a member of our Digital Health CCIO Network. Uh, hello from my kitchen. <laughs> and we have John Hoaxma, our Editor-in-Chief here at Digital Health. Hi, everyone. Great to be back. Well, welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for giving up your time to join us here on Digital Health Unplugged today. Um, it's going to be an interesting podcast looking back on the year. And, you know, what a year it has been. It's a year that saw our lives completely uprooted and changed. It's been utterly devastating watching the impact of coronavirus. And I don't think anyone would disagree with me that this is one of the toughest challenges, if not the toughest challenge, that our NHS has ever faced. But out of what has been quite a difficult year has also been some really positive developments when it comes to technology in the NHS. There's also been some really positive things coming from the supplier side. Uh, right at the start of the pandemic, we saw suppliers making their products freely available to the NHS, uh, not only to ensure that patients could still get the care they need at home, but also to help trusts and other organisations ensure they had the right systems in place to manage these absolutely massive workloads that they had to deal with. Uh, and of course, individual organisations have done some really, really impressive things to cope with the pandemic. Um, I won't list them all here because we don't have the time. Uh, but I do just want to say that I think there has been this really nice feeling of community and togetherness um, a, a lot this year. Certainly, it's something we've seen here at Digital Health with our networks and suppliers. Um, it's been a really nice thing to see everyone sort of coming together and working together for the same goal in, in what has been one of the toughest years I can, uh, you know, one of the toughest years of our lives, I think. Um, so, yeah, wow, I've really set the tone for this recording, haven't I? Um, but let's be honest, 2020 can be done now. I think we're all ready to see the back of it. Um, but enough from me. Let's hear from our excellent panel. Looking back over the year, what are your thoughts? Like, what do you think have been the key achievements for digital health in 2020? Philippa, let's start it off with you. Um, I would say really is the rapid transformation. So it's been a horrendous year and working in an acute community and we offer services to primary care and the CCG here in Bolton. Um, it, it has been really tough and obviously we're in the thick of wave two. We know there'll be wave three coming and Bolton has obviously been in level three and in lockdown significantly longer than some of the areas in the south. But saying that, you know, the rapid transformation that we've done, there's going to be no going back and we can't underestimate, you know, that change for the better and how we have absolutely maximise the potential and also got the acknowledgement that informatics is critical to the business. Now, other trusts, different trusts, obviously have different levels about where that, that fits, etc. But I think from, from now, you know, rather than being a support service, we are absolutely critical and we've demonstrated that. So I think that's really positive on the back of all the horrible parts that have gone on um, here in the last year. Um, but also that rapid transformation 
has also been on top of um, our business as usual. So here in Bolton, you know, in this last 12 months alone, we've done our second phase of our EPR. We've done a PAS upgrade. We've done Windows 10. We're now doing N365, plus all the responses to COVID, which are numerous, all using AI for chest X-rays. And I think um, it's overwhelming how how that community has been and that community across different organisations. And that's about how we've worked in Greater Manchester, but also just in our networks across and from the digital health network, how we've reached out with CCIOs, CIOs to really learn from each other and, and bring that benefit in. So I suppose what I'm saying is it's been a tough year with COVID, but we've also had lots of things to do as well. And that there's been some real successes and that's down to our teams and the talent, um, which I also think we've been able to empower this year to really demonstrate what those skills are. And that's a lot of work as well. Um, work that I assume would, that would normally take a little bit longer. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, Joe and Matthew, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's been an amazing year, hasn't it? Um, we... we um... We've delivered five years of uh, uh, strategy in, in five weeks at the start of the pandemic. Uh, and because we're a mental health trust, we can actually do quite a lot remotely. We don't have to lay hands on the patient. So that's been utterly amazing. Uh, the other big achievement I think we've had this year is that from a Great North Care Record point of view, we've 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 uh, we've deployed uh, a health information exchange linking 3.6 million records uh, across the region. Uh, in the middle of a pandemic uh, and it was used 250,000 times last month to give patients better safer care um, so it's been it's been an amazing year from from a technical uh, and sociological point of view not least because we didn't get the lycra funding that we'd hoped for uh, and we've had to fund everything ourselves um, but in a way I think that helped uh, it means that everybody in the region every organization in the region now pays a subscription for regional information sharing um, uh, and that's that's a giant leap forward. We don't have to go cap in hand for staccato funding from the centre. Matthew, what's it been like on the supplier side of things? You know, obviously we've heard from Philippa and Joe who are on the NHS side, but you're on the other side from the you know the people that are supplying these products. Yeah, I think I think there's a really important point from the supplier side. It's easy to get wrapped up in all the work that's been going on in digital, but I think. When, from our perspective, and I think this is echoed along um, across most suppliers, and see a similar thing. That there was a very early sort of feeling that you know the suppliers are not at the coal face like the NHS staff in, in the NHS, and there was a real sense of wanting to try and provide what we could and the tools that were necessary to support those people in what was anyone could see the news was obviously a very very difficult time. So the stresses have been different. The stresses have been um, in terms of responding to need, and I think one of the greatest um, reasons for how we've managed to achieve such a quick level of transformation in digital is um, everybody in the supplier community could see the acute need and what was what was required um, across the NHS from primary care right up into 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 secondary care, and I think it's made it very easy to be able to respond to that. Be it for anything from video consultations, which I'm sure we'll touch on, through to things like um, getting EPS into more care settings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, it was very easy. It was very clear to find user need. And if, um, as a supplier, there's nothing better than have been able to see very, very clearly um, what that sort of use case is. And, and COVID really sharpened the mind back in 
March, April um, and May in particular. So I think I think a lot of that shift has come from from wanting to support you know the, the frontline workers and, and and seeing how the way in which we deliver care is changing uh, and adapting to that um, as it takes place. I think um, you know our our relationships with some of our suppliers are really really um, not improved. Not that they weren't good before, but I think now we've got a. A, a mutual value and an understanding and at the end of the day I always bring it back to you know what do we need for our citizens and our patients and you know don't just sell me a technology I've got a problem and I need you to help me the solution because you're the experts and I think that's been really embedded more in this year about the suppliers demonstrating like you say Matthew about that you're wanting to help and what that can be uh, that's not all suppliers but a lot of them have and I think um, you know that will go a long way on how we sort of develop strategic partnerships in the future as well. Yeah, and I think that's a lesson. I think it's a lesson certainly from our side. We talked about a lot that you know that responsiveness. And as you say it's not like we didn't have good relationships previously, but it's strengthened and it, it, it's demonstrated what is possible, and that needs to be um, maintained as we move forward into twenty twenty one. It's 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 been a good working relationship on the whole between suppliers and the NHS, um, and not that it wasn't good before, but I think it's been strengthened in a way that we really yeah. want to see continuing. I- yeah, I think I would like to say it's more of a partnership as well. Yep. I think in, in that that you mutually have got a lot to give um, for the benefit, as I say, of our citizens. So absolutely agree. So what would you all say are the most important technologies or, or the more vital technologies, I should say, that have been used this year? Uh, I, I think sometimes we get a little bit caught up um, and very excited about new things like AI and robotics. Um, but there are sort of more basic technologies that help us out uh, or with more day-to-day tasks, like Matthew, you mentioned earlier, um, video consultations. I just want to touch on, on what's been the most important thing for you guys this year. I think I think video is such an interesting one because video is, you know, just a few statistics on that. Video has obviously been a key part, and I don't think that's up for debate. But the idea of... I mean, I mean, very early on, for example, we saw video consultations in the early part of the pandemic increase by about 900% based on 2019 levels. That was a very, very low base. And we saw a doubling of um, phone consultations. So to your point that not everything is the shiny new thing, um, that, that, that really, that can really, that's really demonstrated in that because phone consultations were in the millions where the video consultations were still maybe in the tens of thousands per month. So there is an element where we need to see to gauge, you know, which which technologies are particularly useful, and video is now becoming going to be something that's here to stay. Um, but it's not always that. I think one of the biggest achievements that we've seen has been some of the progress for some of the programs like the summary care record, additional information, making that available across settings. So including including that information in extra information pertinent to COVID right across the sort of NHS estate. That's something that's you know really. You can see the benefit the number of times it's accessed and it supplies more information. It's about more making more information available. So that's one that I'd certainly think, looking back of, I think opening up NHS Login, I mean, we released an app this year and having NHS Login available to the supplier community to use was a great example of using sort of the national standards and, and being able to replicate them. Um, and then the other one that I'd say we look back on and think that we really need to move even further on than we have done is the use of electronic prescriptions across more sectors of the NHS. It's obviously been used in GP for a while and it's gone out into a lot of um, sort of mental health settings and into some outpatients and there's a little bit more to do in that. But I think those the, the speed with which those things have moved over the last nine, ten months um, has really been an achievement that I think is 
the thing to look back on and say how quickly we managed to push out those those sort of national programs that were that would not have been implemented so widely and so so rapidly if it wasn't for the pandemic. If I could come in on that one, um, so I mean I think um, Matthew's absolutely kind of right that you know these are examples of, of things which have you know moved at warp speed during um, this crisis. So there's been a vast amount of kind of fantastic work done, I think, across the NHS um, on digital, um, and digital has really kind of shown that it's indispensable as part of this crisis. So I think one of the things that's going to come out of this as we as we move forward is that perhaps the most persistent kind of um, change is going to be an attitudinal one. I think the perception of digital as a, as a tool, as an approach um, that underpins the future of healthcare, I think that that is the big thing for me that comes out of 2020. And, and the other thing which is linked to that is that these things don't have to take years or even decades to do. I mean, we, we have um, you know seen across the sector how things that, frankly, have at times plodded on for years can actually be done very quickly. I mean, you know, e-prescribing, um, linking up pharmacies is an example of something where work has been underway on that for a very long time. Um, some of the kind of um, some of the kind of blockers that we've seen have evaporated during this crisis. And I think one to watch out for next year is, you know, will, will the deadening hand of bureaucracy kind of um, gradually return? No, John, we're busting the bureaucracy now, haven't you heard? <laughs> <laughs> It, it does need to be, I suppose I was going to say the same. The one thing that I would hate to change is is the freedom and the command and control to act uh, and at speed. Because, like you say, to do things in digital, it can take years, um, but not this year. But also, I think one of the things which you touched on, John, was around the collaboration. I think, you know, other partners, NWAS for us, you know, health and social care, you know, trying to look at, you know, a &E by appointment, all the different things that are really actually transforming the way that we provide healthcare now is because we're coming together and we're being less siloed. So I think that as well is something that we mustn't lose sight of and that we should be proud of that we've done because at the end of the day, the citizen doesn't care, you know, about the different organisation boundaries. Uh, and I think we've demonstrated a lot of that this year that we've actually tried to break those down. Joe, what about you? What's your thoughts on the most important technology this year? Um, I, I, I think you know we've 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 made great strides, and but I, I don't think it's been about the tech. Actually, I'm a big fan mm -hmm. of Margaret Anastat's concept of working with your installed base, and our installed base is the GP record systems and the secondary care systems and things like NHS login. When you put together things that are already good and already work. Um, and you, you throw in, you know, video calling and Office 365 and all the rest of it. That is our installed base. Rather than trying to architect something, you know, from the centre, costing a fortune and taking many years, what happened in the pandemic is that the people were free to begin to think locally and to develop things and to, to join things up. Um, and I think the, the, the general goodwill that was about meant that... Um, we could take the fine things that we've got uh, and and join them together. So uh, it's it's been very encouraging. But I can already feel regulation thickening up, uh, and we have to we have to somehow get past the the problems that we have, which I think are mainly based in the the the, the current disorganisation of the NHS that Lansley left us with, and 
the alphabet soup of organizations who are responsible for digital. X was supposed to fix all that, but it, it, it hasn't, unfortunately. Is it too soon to say that it hasn't, though? I mean, playing devil's advocate here, um, it is only just over a year old, and most of that year has been spent in a pandemic. Is it too soon to say that it hasn't set out to achieve, it hasn't achieved what it set out to? I, I, I think it is, because um, it, it isn't, doesn't have the statutory basis that, it, that is required to tell NHS England what to do, basically. Or uh, E&I, then, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's not an unfinished merger. So how do X tell them what to do when they don't yet know who they are? It's, it requires major surgery uh, in terms of reform of how we do things. It would have been really useful to have some kind of regional um, uh, authority uh, during the pandemic. And I think when we look back, you know, we've done magnificent, magnificent things in digital, but it was despite the organisation of the NHS rather than because of it. Maybe if we had a, maybe if we had a new national agency um, in the mixture, that would do the trick. <laughs> Yeah, NHS, why? Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Moving us on before we get into a little bit of trouble. Um, your point, Joe, actually leads on quite nicely to the next question I was going to ask, is what do you think some of the biggest lessons that we've learned this year are, or hope that we've learned this year are, um, both nationally and at a local level? I can go from the from, from the supply side. Um, I think... We touched on it a bit earlier, so I won't go into detail. I think uh, responsiveness and, and working together is, is a big thing. We sort of touched on that already. So then the other thing I think I'd say is um, certainly in terms of um, the way we approach digital, I think often what we've, what we've thought about previously was um, potentially where it wouldn't work rather than where it would work. So there's often been maybe a blocker in terms of the edge cases or the boundary cases where, that, where we may not be able to implement something due to either digital divide or et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think that some of the pragmatism through this um, period has meant that we have been to move more quickly. And I, I, I certainly, you know, those are, those are valid concerns in terms of it, people's access to digital. But if you take video consultations or online consultations or, or anything like that, you know, there are benefits by providing it for those who can use that because it then frees up face-to-face -face capacity for those who cannot. So I think it's not seeing digital as a way or a vehicle to solve all the problems for everybody, but as a way in which it can help take some of the burden, alleviate some of the burden away from clinical staff for those who can do it and, and not leave those behind who, who, who don't have access. So a slight shift in mentality, say what is possible rather than what may be the problems of implementing this particular piece. So on my side has been a big acute um, I think from ours, is, is the speed of change is really important. We don't want to lose an element of that. But however, there is a, a second arm to that, isn't there? Without creating too much bureaucracy, we took out a lot of tech and equipment for remote working, for AI, all the different oximetry, because these are the things we need to support um, during this time. But I think what we also need to do is just go back and mop up um, and that's not about creating the bureaucracy, but that's absolutely about driving the transformation with these technology. And like Joe says, about how we link them up with the different systems to get the best out of them. And I think we've we've put technology out there at pace, but we've actually not got the return on investment from that with respect to the collaboration piece, but also the qualitative parts. Um, obviously, there's always the financial parts too, but 
for me, it's around really understanding what we've put out there and are we maximising that technology to really transform our workforce and the way we provide health services. And I think that will start to come in the next 12 months. So we, we go back and revisit what we've got um, and how we get the best out of it because putting it out of pace, you've never maximised it. Mm-hmm. I think um, one of the most important things that happened at the beginning of the crisis, and this is kind of, you know, um, something in praise of the NHSX is that they, they gave a very clear message um, on information governance that it's okay to share. Don't don't sort of, um, you know, um, try and kind of um, delay things, go and do it. Um, but I think as Philip is kind of um, describing, um, we built up some some kind of debt during the, during the course of doing things very, very quickly. There's um, some technical debt, I think, on interoperability because a lot of systems have been kind of, um, you know, um, sort of stood up very, very quickly. I think there's debt on changing kind of work processes and rethinking the work. Um, and, you know, I mean, Teams, for instance, it's um, very, very kind of widely used across the NHS. But have how far have people gone so far in kind of, you know, re-engineering clinical workflows? I think there's a ton more that's going to happen on that. Um, and I suspect there's also um, some debt on information governance, um, which is going to kind of loom large over the coming year, both at local and national kind of levels. Um, and, you know, uh, unfortunately, I think there's also going to be some questions about um, procurements in all aspects of um, of kind of the COVID-19 response. But that doesn't invalidate all that's been achieved um, during the course of 2020. It's just, I think, you know, there's there's going to be some, um, some kind of, um, you know, problems that um, have been caused that need to be worked through as well. A few kinks to iron out. So do you think that this year has changed the way that digital will be used in the NHS? Has it changed attitudes? Is there going to be a different culture around it? What are you hoping that we take away from this year? It's changed mental health services, uh, and I think probably permanently. Um, We are unique as a specialty in that, you know, we're not going to have to cut you open. uh, And consequently, we can do a lot of what we need to do remotely. Uh, and the cultural change, the biggest cultural change for me is actually in the in the patients. They've all had a training in the use of Zoom or whatever um, uh, in the last few months. And consequently, it's a technology which was really difficult previously. I can remember uh, visiting Seattle and, and talking to people at Microsoft about Skype faff, they called it in Seattle. Um, the, you know, one person couldn't talk to the other one or there was difficulty in getting things set up. All of that has improved, but also what's improved is patients' knowledge of that stuff, uh, and this is now everyday technology for them. I agree, John. I think it's it's managing that expectation now, isn't it? Because I think, you like to say, our patients and citizens aren't going to put up with anything less, um, and and that they are, um, you know, requiring the the accessibility is in a whole range um, of ways than what we've done um, traditionally. We, we had some psychiatrists stuck in India at the start. They carried on working for, for Cumbria, Northumberland, Tainuia during the pandemic from India. It's fabulous. I, I can remember you, Joe, writing a, a column for us um, a, a couple of years back um, where you were kind of you know, putting up the idea of a fully virtual kind of mental health trust. And um, you know, at the time, that seemed um, you know, a bit blue sky. That doesn't seem at all fanciful now. No, I, I would genuinely like to see a, a, a virtual NHS trust 
because we've only scratched the surface with doing things digitally, to be honest. Uh, there's a great deal that we can automate uh, and there's a great deal that we haven't yet seen. There are, there are a few um, outfits out there doing stuff, um, you know, uh, virtual uh, GPs like Babylon, etc. But there are, you know, there, there are there are opportunities there to, I think, do things a great deal cheaper. And for a lot of for a lot of my patients, actually, physically turning up at a psychiatric establishment for an outpatient appointment puts off twenty five percent. Twenty five percent don't come. A lot of people would prefer to be seen virtually. Yeah. Do you think this has also increased trust in digital services, uh, both patients and clinicians who haven't necessarily used it before? It has in my trust, definitely. So we're, we're um, I think the engagement and the, the take-up of virtual consultations and different ways of working and access to tech has, has been, been, been pushed against an open door, whereas previously that would have been far more difficult to deploy at speed. Um, so I think that is, and I think that also comes down to people's home lives and how we're all, we've all managed and, um, you know, to keep connected through COVID and lockdown, that obviously we're using technology at home a lot more as well as um, for all our other services. Yeah, I, I think I echo most of what people have said. I think whilst it may sound cliche, there certainly is a change. We wouldn't all be talking about 2020 in this way if there hadn't been some kind of shift in the digital space. And Philip, I completely agree that that's, got as much to do with um, people's activities at, at home and their exposure in all sorts of settings, not just the healthcare service. So it has changed. But but there are, um, we all know there's, there's there's still huge steps to do. And John mentioned, for example, interoperability and, and things like that, that, you know, we've, we've made some strides forward. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there's great areas of the, of the country that, that are doing some, some, some great things in that space, but there, there is still plenty more to do. So I think it, it certainly changed the way in which we view it and certainly the way in which it interacts or the technology interacts with the healthcare service, both for clinicians and patients. But, but we're only still sort of starting on that journey. There's, there's, there's plenty more to do. And I think we need to maintain that use case focused of how it's going to make a difference. And, and as Philip said earlier, not just technology for technology's sake, but how is that going to actually make an impact to make it better for people in their lives? But I think it, I think as we kind of come into the next phase, and then hopefully you know, as we move out of the um, pandemic in 21, the, um, the challenge is going to be to secure the digital gains that we've achieved in, in what's likely to be the starkest public sector kind of um, you know, spending crunch any of us have seen in our lifetimes. It's, um, it ain't going to be pretty. Yeah. And also on that, I think the interesting thing is the challenge for technology in COVID, in COVID during the pandemic, you know, virtual teams, as Joe's talked about, um, moving things into video. There's a lot of work to do right across the NHS in terms of the impact that this has had on routine care from anything through to quaff through to um, more secondary care focused. And there's got to be ways in which um, the technology can respond to that backlog of 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 need um, in the same way that responded at the start. So I think things are going it, it, to, it's not, the pandemic is not over and there's going to be a long haul in terms of the healthcare service for getting it back to a position where it was pre, pre-March. Mm. So let's take a look at some of the stories that have made national headlines this year, uh, because it has been a year that digital health has, you know, made a lot of national headlines. One of the biggest stories for us, of course, has been the contact tracing app. Um, at the risk of getting too political here, and Joe, I'm hovering over your mute button just in case. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, 
the contact tracing app has been one of our biggest stories. Uh, you know, it was quite a saga of different trials and U-turns and different operating models. I don't want to talk about it too much because we have addressed it a lot in podcasts this year. But I do want to know uh, your thoughts on the direction it was originally taken. Um, obviously, when the app was first announced, it was pushed as being this big solution for tracing the virus. And that was kind of scaled back over the months. Um, so I'd like to know from you guys, was the end product worth the wait? Or was this a lesson in, you know, digital is a nice tool to have, but it's not the whole solution? At the risk of being controversial, um, I actually think that the app is pretty good, but it, it isn't being pushed. It isn't being pushed with the political energy that it, it ought to be. Boris is on the telly for half an hour every couple of days and he never, ever mentions it. Um, and But I actually think it's a pretty good app. The other, the other thing I think is important to know is that, you know, we all knew that um, the, the design one from scratch uh, wasn't really going to work and it would run into privacy difficulty. But I think we have to take a long, hard look at Apple and Google here. They know where everybody is or 95% of us are at any time. Um, and I don't think they've really stood up. I think they could have done a great deal more uh, to help out in the pandemic than to stand up. Um, you know, a few Bluetooth um, things, you know, I would have I would have cheerfully signed away my privacy uh, to prevent 70,000 deaths. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I do have some sympathy with Matthew Gould's approach to having some centralised data. I would have given that data and I think 80 percent of the population would have done too at the time. So I think Google and Apple have got off a bit lightly here and I think they, they should have done more than stand up for Bluetooth stuff. So I've got I've got some sympathy with the the idea of having some central data and um, I would cheerfully switch on my location services and 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 share that if I thought it was going to save seventy thousand lives. So I think for the next pandemic, I think the you know central data give up your privacy, push the yeah you can have my data during the pandemic app. I think that should get finished off. Hmm. I think if a conversation was had around the data that would be shared and how it would be used, then I do agree that people would be willing to share it. And there just there wasn't that kind of conversation around it, was there? And it, it was hard to explain to people that don't work in the industry how the data would be used um, and what, what it would be used for. And I think people were just worried that the government was going to be tracking them. I think they were, but I don't think Apple and Google really wanted people to know exactly how much they know about us. I don't think they wanted to get into that. Well, yeah, this is, you know, this is what I've said to friends and family who have potentially been worried about using the app. Like, if you've got a smartphone, don't worry about it. You're already kind of being tracked. Like, if you've used Google Maps to get somewhere in the last few years, it can tell you where you've been for the last few years. Like, it's already something that happened. So you don't need to be worried about using the contact tracing app. Yeah, I think it's around the communication, as Joel says. You know, they're absolutely missing the trick. The communication that's transparent and that obviously if people see the transparency in that and the understanding and also the impact, like Joe said, about you making an impact to the reduction in the deaths, people are going to choose to do that, but we're not pushing that as the mantra. Um, and I think that's a shame and we just need to look at other countries that have done really well and how they've communicated. Uh, even Scotland, obviously, you know, they, they have a daily conversation, don't they, from Nicola um, so I'm not getting into really the politics, but what I'm saying is that we've we've missed out on that national communication, that transparency of what we're trying to achieve and being honest about it. 
I, th I think the reason that the apps had so much attention, and um, I mean, anytime um, Andrea writes a story about it for us, it kind of does, does spectacular. <laughs> I can it's, write it's because it, in my sleep now. <laughs> it, it distills all of the kind of anxieties around technology um, and government's use of data, as well as the kind of pandemic. But I mean, in, in the wider picture of it forming part of test and trace efforts, um, you know, the, the NAO and the government's own kind of um, um, scientific advisory committee all say it's, you know, it's not clear how much how much of an impact it's having. So I, th I think it's that wider test and trace um, rather than the app um, that I'm suggesting might be the thing to focus on. Yeah, and the only thing, the only, the only thing I'd add, I mean, coming up to zero special knowledge, the same as the rest of us looking at the news and things, is, is I take the point, Philippa, that other countries may have maybe been more effective in the response. But if you look at some of the stuff that's Germany and the uptake in Germany and um, some of the problems in France with the first version, the UK is not alone in having low levels of uptake and that kind of thing. It's, it's, something, that, it's something that has been the case across Western Europe. And, you know, that, you know we've seen that, um, you know, parts of Asia and stuff have, have had a different approach to this and a different approach to infectious disease in general. So I think it is sometimes maybe more than just looking at the UK, but, but a wider response to this that, that maybe we've seen in, in Europe and, and in developed nations. But, but Apple and Google could have pushed this to every phone. Yeah. They could have pushed it to every smartphone in the country and they chose not to. Hmm. Is there not an issue with consent there, however, if you're just pushing it to a phone, like surely the user has to be okay with it being on their phone. They push, they push iTunes, and they put, and they, and they push uh, the Play Store. <laughs> yep, good point. Well made. Um, but I do think they're very different applications, aren't they, compared to a contact tracing app? It is true, but you can you, you can disable it very very easily. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, yeah, of course. One of the things you, one of the best things actually about the NHS app is you can you can turn it off, and you need to turn it off in a situation where you might generate a lot of false positives. And there's been no no tuition for the public on how to use it. There's no half hour tutorial on, you know, on prime time television saying this is how this is how you use it and this is how this app is going to get us out of here. Um, and it, you know, I just feel it's a, a real missed opportunity. They should get you. They should get you on one of the national briefings, Joe, alongside Boris. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, I think that's unlikely, John. <laughs> it would make them a lot more interesting, Joe. <laughs> um, so other national news, though. We've had some, or quite a bit of concern raised around, um, we've touched on privacy, but also some different government contracts with private tech firms. Palantir's involvement with the NHS COVID-19 data store, just to name one, has caused some controversy, but it's not the only contract that has raised some eyebrows this year. Um, so without getting too deep into it and too political again, I do just want to ask, do you think this is going to negatively impact the trust that people have in the NHS if we are working with these companies that don't necessarily have the best reputation. Well, yes, and again, it comes down to that transparency, doesn't it? You know, I think if people have the option to opt in and out, then they're going to be more willing to provide the data, like Joe says, and... You know, it's a frustrating conversation that we have all the time and about, you know, your data impact assessments and the data sharing agreements, but they're not always as transparent as they should be. And I think if we were, then that I'm not saying it's an easy feat to, to manage, but if they were, people would be more trusting, I would hope. Having done 25 workshops with the general public, 
around Great North Care Record, and we concluded, uh, with the help of the citizens, that uh, patient data is a bit like the Falkland Islands, there for the asking, but not for the taking. We all know that healthcare data is a sensitive, an incredibly sensitive to- topic. And I think whatever you're doing as a company working in healthcare, you've really got to have the kind of sense of privacy, of security, um, at the kind of at the core of that. And it's quite something that's quite hard to learn. And it's got to be something that's really entrenched within the organisation. And I think the other thing I'd say, sort of on Joe's point, is one of the things is, you know, Supplying technology to the NHS, we are a data processor. We process data at the request of um, users of the system. And that and that's very much how it works. And, and that's very much the ethos which you need to sort of have the, the custodian of that and the absolute security and just about making it available to the people who need it. And that's an attitude that, um, without naming any names, that I think is maybe difficult to learn um, from start. And it needs to be something that's really at the core of the of the company so that's 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 in terms of the general ethos for for this that's very much how how i would see it for, for being in the industry i was just going to say uh I, matthew i'm a i'm a patient of a tpp system one uh, general practice and i love the granularity of the privacy settings on there um i just wish my gp would switch them on <laughs> but uh, it, i absolutely i absolutely agree that your approach your approach to privacy i think is properly citizen centric and that's that's what breeds trust and when you've got the trust of the patient most of them will will let you do what you want with the data to be honest provided they've got control yeah and, and trust is a sacred thing and, and something whatever it is with it whether it's a um, something the news that's true or false or whatever if there's ever a question that trust has been broken it's hard to get back and it's difficult to get back so you've got to do everything you can in the first place joe i completely agree it does just seem like there needs to be more of a conversation going on around why these companies have these contracts, what they're able to do with these contracts, and why we decided to go with that company. But obviously this year there's been issues with contracts not being published on time. I'm sure that everyone's read the NAO report last week that came out uh, that basically said that there's been a lack of transparency around the suppliers that have been chosen. I'm not suggesting that they don't have reasons for you know choosing these suppliers. But it is the NHS. It's a public body. There's a huge amount of trust in it. And I think as patients, we have the right to know why these companies are being used and why they have access to our data. I think that's a very basic conversation that we need to be having with patients. Professor Helen Nissenbaum, um, who's a professor of privacy in the States, says that we are in the flat earth period of public understanding of privacy. And once they rumble what's going on, uh, it'll get messy. Uh, it'll get care dot data too messy. Goodness, that is a <laughs> that's a scary thought, Joe. But yeah, I am. Um, I don't disagree. I think that probably is the case. But we are slowly running out of time. Uh, so I do want to ask if there's anything you want to raise that's not not COVID related, because I realise this has been a very COVID heavy podcast. Um, although it was very hard not to be, but there has been some good things going on elsewhere. So is there anything else you guys want to discuss? Yeah, I mean, what one I'll mention is um, actually um, away from kind of COVID-19, there's actually been quite a lot of um, big procurements and digital transformation initiatives moving forward. Um, okay, it, it tends to be the kind of ones with the biggest numbers that, um, that grab attention. Um, Epic has had a bit of a, a kind of a purple patch this year. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of funds that have gone out through the Digital Aspirant Fund. 
Um, and I think there's been some good progress across the board. Now, not all of that's you know been been possible um, as quickly as people might like, but um, I mean, I think across the board, away from kind of COVID as well, as, as Philippa was uh, talking about her own trust, there's been some really solid progress on um, on the NHS um, digitizing many, many different things. Philip, I just wondered what, whether I could get you to comment on that. Yeah, I agree. I think I was going to say, I think it's been, you know, as, as I say, horrendous year, but also tremendous for, for digital across everywhere like if you look at like what Joel's achieved in his area with the great can great North care record you know and that real push and that drive about sharing that information the stuff that we've done here in our organization which is what our strategy was already to deliver but also some innovations around AI about how we manage COVID patients with IA, IA, IA sorry it's, I'm, I'm losing the words now and uh, oximetry you know and different things like that and how we're really pushing the boundaries but also around the networking you know we can't you, you, there's a lot of things happened you know we've had different people who've got hymns level six you know only about big procurements around epic here in greater manchester etc there's been some really great developments and transformations done in digital despite it being a tough year and us having to respond to covid and we can't we can't underestimate you know the amount of work and also i always want more money and more cios would and Joe would say that too about the investment we've had but i think a lot of that investment has had to come internally as well um but i think that's because people are absolutely acknowledging that that digital agenda is part of your business and if you want a successful business your digital is key to that yeah yeah no completely agree philippa i think that we're certainly seeing that a number of areas sort of across the SDP or ICS for new money are looking um, digitally for sort of something that can share data and do some of the things that you've talked about across across the patch. And obviously Joe's Great North Care is an example of some of that, but sort of an approach to digital, which is let's try and procure something that is um, going to work, you know, um, for the long term, a bit more of a focus potentially on that and how how... How can we deliver benefits for, for across the whole patch? A bit more of a syst- whole system approach to, and I think that that's interesting. And, I'm, and certainly, I think moving into the net into the new year, um, that's something that I think you know we're quite excited about on that approach. And it's, it's something that I think we can make some progress on to to sort of um, build and grow upon what's what's you know people's focus on digital in in twenty twenty and have something good coming out of it, which is that whole system approach that's patient centric and works. Um, right across the services in a particular area. Joe, did you have anything to add? Uh, just a, a, a thank you, really. Uh, I mean, what a year. Uh, the IT crowd, the suppliers, the hospital-based people, um, you know, regional teams, they, they've delivered everything that they were delivering and then some. So just, just thank you to everybody. Uh, the NHS might be a bit broken organisationally, but the people in it and the people who support it from an IT point of view are just marvellous. Yeah, you beat me to it, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I, I give I give the analogy that we're like Braveheart, all running over the hill. I don't know who William Wallace, Wallace will be. Maybe that can be you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but Braveheart, and we're, we're all pulling together and it feels good. It's proud. It's difficult but it's lovely to be part of that wider community. And I talk about all the different partners in that and suppliers 
um, without each other we wouldn't have done it and the, and those frontline workers who we know have had horrific um, you know experiences this year so I would want to say thank you too so hear hear Joe hear hear yeah wow I'm struggling to get that image of Joe painted blue out of my head yeah yeah me too I don't think that's ever leaving my head now <laughs> I said it through yeah <laughs> um well that seems like a good place to wrap up the podcast before we get any more off topic. Uh, and we have unfortunately run out of time. Philippa, Joe, Matthew and John, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. It's been a really interesting discussion. And to all of our listeners at home, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget that Digital Health Unplugged is published fortnightly on Spotify, iTunes and Apple Podcasts. So please do give us a follow on any of those platforms to keep up to date with what we're doing. And as always, we're very keen to hear from you. So if you do have a podcast suggestion, you can drop us an email on podcast at digitalhealth.net. And just to reiterate Joe's earlier point uh, before we sign off, I would like to take a moment to say thank you so much to all of the NHS workers, frontline workers, IT team, cleaners, suppliers, token workers, everyone who has given so, so much this year to keep us all safe and to keep the NHS going. The amount of work that you have put in and are continuing to put in is just incredible. So on behalf of Digital Health, we just want to say that you are amazing. We appreciate you and thank you so much for everything that you've been doing. 